Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Swamp 247 staff writer Graham Hall. And Graham, this is the first of our season preview series. Uh, You and I are going to go through each position group. There's going to be 10 of these episodes where we go through and break down what each group brings to the table heading into the 2022 season. And we thought we would start this with uh, one of Florida's stronger units to get things off uh, on the right foot for those of you who are listening to this series. Uh, And we're going to get things going with running back. It's a unit that has four very talented scholarship players. Billy Napier was one of the uh, most run-heavy coaches in the country last year. His team ranked in the top 40 teams in terms of overall run percentage on plays from scrimmage at just about 57 percent distributed the ball between three different running backs had three guys rush for over 600 yards last year including new florida running back montrell johnson who we'll talk about transfer from louisiana but graham uh this is a really good looking unit and something that we think that billy napier is going to come to rely on throughout this season uh in general what what are some of your thoughts as we get into the conversation about what we believe to be one of florida's stronger groups yeah, my thought right now is that this is going to be a really run-heavy offense. You've seen even people float the possibility of a 60-40 split here. The big question for me is how is that going to be divided up right now? I think that you and I feel very positively that Florida has a lot of talented backs on the roster, but the battle throughout spring and now into preseason camp has made things, I think, pretty interesting. You reference one of those guys, Montrell Johnson. I thought initially that he would be kind of one of the leaders of the pack, especially knowing what Naquan Wright had to battle back from. But right now we've heard some very interesting things that, like I said, I I wonder how they are going to split things up. But overall, I do kind of get the sense, my thought right now, over halfway through preseason campus, that Florida is going to be a really, like I said, run heavy offense and that they have a lot of capable backs this year who can do that. Now, which one emerges and is at the top? I still have a few questions um, to see how that gets answered. Yeah, and I, and I will say this. I think that the unit in general has shown a lot of promise uh, in that, you know, you mentioned Naquan Wright was dealing with an injury in the spring. It seems like he's fully ready to go and practicing uh, as a full participant in the fall. Uh, Lorenzo Lingard is the guy who had a ton of potential coming out of high school and has never quite delivered on that. Uh, in the spring, looked very solid. In the absence of Naquan Wright, uh, Trevor Etienne was not a spring participant. So uh, Lorenzo Lingard got a lot of room to work uh, in the spring and seem to take advantage of that. And it sounds like a lot of that momentum has carried over uh, into fall camp. Obviously, the addition of Trevor Etienne, and we'll get into this, has been big. Uh, I want to start, though, with Naquan Wright. He is a guy who has emerged as kind of a uh, an emotional leader for this team. It sounds like he's somebody who guys are really looking up to, and the coaching staff wants it to be that way. They really do seem to trust him. Uh, he's a Doak Walker Award watch list member. Uh, which is the award distributed to the best running back in the country. Uh, and, and it sounds like, based on what you and I are hearing, this is the guy who might start the season as the number one running back. And we can debate uh, how serious that is in terms of you know how much it matters to be the number one in this particular room. But it does sound like he is that guy. 
Yeah, it does. And a guy that you can easily make a case for why he should be that guy. And it's not really just even on the field. Uh, as you kind of said, a guy who had a horrible injury there at the end of November last year, but it was a similar injury to one he had battled back from previously, a, a bad ankle fracture that he came back from when he, when he was coming out of high school. And so he kind of knew what it took to get back in shape. He knew what kind of a process it was. He was in the right mental state. And even though he couldn't really compete on the field when Billy Napier and his coaching staff first got here, he was someone who stayed in the mix throughout the spring. And we, we wrote about this back in March that he was in every meeting and he started doing some work there throughout spring that really kind of, I think, set him up for what has been a very, very impressive fall camp, despite them adding another guy on the roster here in the summer. So with him, yeah, you mentioned him being a leader off the field. He proved himself early on. And then what he's done on the field, he's great in pass pro. He's great catching the ball out of the backfield. I would even make the case that he's probably Florida's best pass catching back. And that was kind of the case last year as well when he was playing with two behind two guys that are now in the NFL and Damian Pierce and Malik Davis. So that kind of was a given for me. And to see that kind of continue was not a surprise whatsoever here. I, I knew that once he had a chance to get into some practices and, and show what he could do in live action, that he would work his way back up the depth chart if he had fallen down it throughout spring camp. Absolutely. To see him maintain that is is not a surprise. But what you said, I think, is a really interesting point. Are they going to have him shoulder the load? I'm not convinced of that whatsoever. I mean, I can't sit here and talk about a guy's injury history and what they're coming back from and talk about guys like Montrell Johnson and sit here and say that Naquan Wright's going to get more than 15 carries a game. I know that there's some people who would like to see him do that, especially seeing how the run game was split up last year. But I kind of get the sense that this is going to be another by-committee approach, even if come week one he is the starter at running back there in the backfield who's out there for the first offensive play of the game. Sure, and I, and I think that this is also a guy who uh, the coaching staff has come to feel as though they can rely on in terms of if they tell him something, they feel as though they're going to get what they ask for. Uh, and I think that that's something that's really important for, for Billy Napier. And we've talked about that on the podcast before. This is a guy who came in from Louisiana and immediately goal number one was I need to institute uh, a level of responsibility between the players where they hold each other accountable. Uh, I need to institute a level of discipline that's going to allow me to not only work through practices at a, at a certain pace and accomplish a certain amount of things in those sessions, but also a, a, a discipline that will carry over to Saturdays and prevent penalties. And I think based on what I've heard personally, it sounds like Naquan Wright has stepped up as a guy that the staff can feel as though uh, will help them deliver those things, will help them in their in their quest to achieve those, those goals uh, of, of putting together a more disciplined roster and getting more out of it. Uh, and, and I will also say this, he was productive last year. I mean, like you mentioned, they had, Florida had two very good running backs, Damian Pierce, who is the uh, odds-on favorite to be the starting running back for the Houston Texans this season. Uh, Malik Davis, who has been very good uh, based on the reports in Dallas Cowboys training camp. Uh, so, you know, a busy room again last year, and still Naquan Wright managed to accumulate over 500 all-purpose yards, uh, you know, showed spurts of, of why he has so much potential. Obviously, uh, questions about how he's going to bounce back from that, from that ankle injury uh, still kind of loom. But I would say all things considered, maturity – plus production and experience, it does seem as though Naquan Wright is headed towards that number one tag. Uh, and, and again, we don't know how much that really means in terms of workload, but in terms of you know the, the recognition that that comes with, it sounds like he does lead the room. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's not even just off of what we're hearing. They have publicly, I think, acknowledged that recently. And with the Danny Warfel Gator Made Man of the Month Award, who has been given to guys who are not just leading the way on the field, but off the field as well, doing everything right, seeing him named to that list, I think just gives further credence to the belief that he is carrying himself immaculately behind the scenes and that there's someone that they can point to and say, hey, this is how he does things. This is how things should be done here. And so, yeah, it, it just it furthers the notion here that Naquan, despite the injury, has kind of made up a lot of ground in the backfield rotation. And, and it wouldn't be a surprise at all to see him be the primary running back. Absolutely. And, and, and it brings me to the next person on the list, because, again, I think you mentioned at the top of the show that this is a person who could potentially factor into that number one mix, you know, given his history. Montrell Johnson is a guy who, who joined Florida uh, after a year at Louisiana where he was extremely successful, finished the year uh, as the Raging Cajuns' leading rusher. He was the 2021 Sunbelt Freshman of the Year, uh, a guy who has been extremely well-regarded uh, since his decision to enter the NCAA transfer portal. Florida received a lot of praise for bringing him into the fold. What, what does this addition mean to Florida's roster, Graham, and, and how do you think Johnson contributes you know, at the early stages of the season? I think it's just a lot of assurance because, like you said, not to kind of say that they were being too cautious or that they had a lot of concern here, but, yeah, you have a guy in Naquan working his way back. You have a guy in Lorenzo Lingard who, while he has been impressive and done things right in practice, there are still some concerns about whether that will translate on the field because it really hasn't throughout his collegiate career, and that's not really a knock on him. It just is kind of an unknown. And then you have an, another guy who is a freshman coming in in Trevor Etienne. And as much as you want to say, oh, this is a dynamic freshman who can lead the way, I think that certainly, and Billy Napier also relied on a freshman last year, several of them, I think that you really can't bank on them being a guy who can carry the load and give you 12, 15 carries every single game. I just don't think that that's a given here. He is absolutely a boost to the backfield. Don't get a mistake in there. But right now, I think that you're seeing that they would definitely like to have another proven back alongside him. Yeah, and I think that, you know, to, in, in Florida's current situation, I actually think that they're set up beautifully with to have a guy like Montrell Johnson in, in their on their roster and at their disposal. You you do have four running backs, and I know that I keep going back to this, but, but I want to be clear. All, all four of these guys are expected to contribute based on everything that we've heard, and I think that that's important because you can utilize each of those four players in the situations that they're best suited for. So... Johnson becomes an extremely important player for Florida because it gives you the option to have a guy out there who is quick, who is light on his feet, uh, and, and should be able to kind of add some balance to the room. So you you do open things up more. I, I, I like having Johnson in the fold a lot for Florida. Uh, I think that he proved himself. I do have to correct one thing, though. I said that he was uh, Louisiana's leading rusher last year. He finished second barely. Uh, he led the team in rushing touchdowns, which is uh, the reason for the confusion. Uh, Graham, you mentioned Trevor Etienne, a former four-star prospect, a younger brother of Jacksonville Jaguars' first-round pick. Travis Etienne was a former Clemson running back, phenomenal player. Uh, he is a Gator. And I think at first, everybody was expecting him to be uh, the clear-cut fourth guy in the room, didn't participate in the spring. Uh, you have a guy like Lorenzo Lingard, who's a fifth-year junior, super experienced, former five-star prospect. You have a guy like Naquan Wright, who put up 500 all-purpose yards last year despite being a clear third on Florida's depth chart. You have a Montrell Johnson who was, you know, recognized as a, as a very talented transfer uh, and, and won awards in his conference last year. 
And so you you bring in a guy like ETN and you immediately say, and I think logically, this guy's not going to play very much. And it sounds like that early notion could not be more wrong. It sounds like this is a guy who has turned heads throughout Florida's preseason camp. Uh, he has risen up the depth chart. I've heard as high as number two. Uh, I've heard he's even received some some first team reps. You and I have both heard that he's worked in the receiving in the returning game, excuse me, as kick and punt return. Uh, I mean, what 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 can you say about a guy like Trevor Etienne, who sounds like he's having nothing short of a phenomenal camp? Yeah, you kind of just said it. It just seems like he is someone that they are not desperate, but enthusiastic about getting on the field as soon as possible. If you can accelerate kind of like trial by fire a freshman's um, first season on campus, I think you really set them up for success next year and, and into the future. Of course, we initially, I was like you, I was under the notion that this was going to be a by seniority type approach. You have Lingard, you have Montrell, who did what ETN is trying to do, saw the field significantly as a freshman, had double digit touchdowns. And then you have a guy and Naquan Wright working his way back. I felt that initially as if they were going to have a more concise rotation in a sense and, and do what I think a lot of fans have been clamoring for. And that was pound the, the hot hand in a sense, give a guy double digit carries every single game and see what they can do. I think that right now, what we mentioned earlier, Damian Pierce's current performance throughout preseason camp is kind of a testament to that belief that that is possibly what can result in the highest ceiling for your backfield. I, again, to use the term by committee approach, it sounds like from what we're hearing about ETN, and then you have Lingard as well, who they do feel confident in that, yeah, four backs are going to see the field and just do uh, what we also talked about, give you a different look regarding who was out there. Um, when it comes to ETN, you mentioned his brother. He really had an example to show him what to do, how to carry himself, the obviously the financial aspect of the game for student athletes is not really a concern in the NIL era and having a brother up the road who plays for the Jaguars. I, I think that absolutely you can make the case. That this is a guy who has a chance to even possibly before the midpoint of the season, I think emerges this dynamic threat that people are going to want to see more and more of. I'm uncertain that he's ever going to be this season, the primary running back. But we just keep getting the sense that he's going to be on the field uh, at times this season because he's too talented of an athlete to keep off of it. Yeah, and, and, and again, I'm going to go back to the well. I, I, I personally don't think there is going to be a primary back. If I had to give a, a, a prediction uh, for, for now through the end of the season, something that I think is going to be one of the themes, I don't foresee there being a true primary back in this room. I can see there being one player who potentially eats up a lot of first and second down reps, I can see a guy, you know, becoming somebody that the team wants on the field more often in play action or passing scenarios versus somebody who they're more comfortable handing the ball off and telling him to go get some hard-fought yards uh, in a short yard situation or if they're in an open field running down. I can see that being a role. Uh, and, and we can see guys, you know, start to dominate in those roles where they, where they are assigned something and that's what they do. Um, but again, I, I just don't think that there's anybody in this room who's going to steal this. I just don't. Uh, and, and, and again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that that's a knock on the talent. If anything, I think it's an endorsement of the fact that Billy Napier knows what he's looking for. He kept four guys in the fold uh, who are really good. Uh, I think that it's a sign of confidence in the unit. I think that there's no reason to shy away from anybody if they're all good. Uh, and we're seeing that. And, and my... Bold prediction, which I was going to save for our next 
section of this, which is our expectations, but I, I will tease it, is I actually think Trevor Etienne ends up being one of the leaders in the room this year, statistically. I think that this is a guy who is really starting to turn some heads. And the fact that he was able to go from, you know, the presumed fourth running back in the room to potentially as high as second in, what, two weeks? We're recording this on August 20th, you know, three weeks. That to me is is remarkable. So I, I think that this is a guy who, with more time uh, and more experience in games, is is going to just continue to rise. Uh, it brings me to the fourth player in the unit, though, Lorenzo Lingard. Um, I personally, Graham, have heard that he could very well be, if we're going to rank a depth chart, the fourth guy of four among the scholarship players. Again, that does not necessarily mean he's been bad. Uh, I just think it's 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 a testament to how good the others have been. Uh, is that a disappointment for Lorenzo Lingard? H how should people calibrate this? Because he is a former five-star prospect. He is in his fifth year. Uh, and have you heard that he is the the fourth guy? Yeah, I have. I, I do think the word disappointing is fair. I, I wouldn't say it's disconcerting or surprising, really, because the case with Lorenzo in the past was that despite his designation by some sites as a former five-star prospect, that he was someone who continued to leave a little bit to be desired when it came to what he could give you in game. And I say in game because throughout practice, this is someone who consistently has done the right thing. When the staff got here, that was the impression they got. He's mature. He's a leader. He's, he's focused. He understands the playbook. He, he's intelligent. Absolutely. That's not what it is here. I think that his ceiling as some have come to realize he has good speed, but his ceiling is just a little bit lower than the other three guys in the room. And, and that's not certainly a bad thing. You want to have guys who, yeah, maybe have higher ceilings and you can still be confident in bringing in an experienced guy who can stymie the rest of your backs and, and give you um, a, a breather in your depth chart. And you also can count on them without feeling like there's going to be a significant drop off, but it is a little bit disappointing to go back to that word that you, as you mentioned, in with in under three weeks, a freshman has come in, albeit with a really good pedigree and, and from uh, a family with NFL talent right now, has come in and kind of jumped, in a sense, the fifth-year guy in the room. I think that that is just disappointing when you hear that right now. Um, but it should also entice people who may think that Trevor Etienne is not the real deal right now. The ability to do that, come in here and compete with a 22-year-old guy in your first year of college before you ever taken a, a, a class at a university, I mean, that's that's nothing to scoff at in my mind. And I think that if you're disappointed by Lingard's current status, you could easily be a little bit reassured and think that, okay, if they're that confident in a freshman playing over him, what do we have in Trevor Etienne? Sure. And and, and I, I think that that was really well said. I, I I can imagine that there would probably be disappointment for a guy who is in his fifth year and, and had the potential that he had. You would probably you know, expect, and, and reasonably, I think that you would expect uh, that kind of a player to take a massive step forward, if not emerge uh, out of camp as the leading guy in, in the room. And I think especially so after the spring that he had, uh, where he was, I would say by all accounts, quite good. Uh, and he had the benefit of not really having to compete with anybody. I mean, Naquan Wright was out. Trevor Etienne was not on campus. Montreal Johnson was, was in my opinion, clearly second to Lorenzo Lingard on, on the spring depth chart. Uh, and we saw that when when they went to scrimmage mode. Johnson played 
for the first and second team offense, whereas Lingard was exclusively the first team back before he got a little bit banged up with a, I think it was a hamstring, a minor hamstring thing uh, that, that, that had no effect on him in fall camp, but, but still, uh, and he's now towards the bottom, if not at the bottom of the unit and, and he'll still play. I think that there's plenty of role for him. I actually think that he could carve out uh, a, a very important role as a pass catching back who can kind of use his length and speed uh, to be able to, to, to make an impact. But again, that's not, I think what you would expect from your typical uh, former five-star prospect. And, and I guess we can close out with this now, Graham, what, what are your expectations for this unit for the season? I know that we've laid it out pretty clearly here that uh, it's going to be a by committee situation. We can see some contributions from multiple players, uh, what, what are you expecting? I think that Florida has all the pieces to be one of the best rushing teams in the country. I mean, they were top 25 last year in that regard. And while a lot of those guys aren't on campus anymore, Emory Jones, Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, I think that you look at what the offensive line brings back, not to get too far ahead in our position previews, but you look at who they've added, the results in the room, who they get back having experienced guys and Naquan Wright and Lorenzo Lingard, and then two underclassmen that they feel really, really good about in Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson. I think that you get the sense that this is going to be a team that runs the football often, more often than not, I think, on offense. And yeah, that, that leads me to my other point. Billy Napier's offensive system, I think, is designed to benefit not just one rushing, one running back, but multiple rushers. I think that you will see, that's why we talked about all four of these guys, because like you said, my expectation is that all four will have a, a role. I don't see any of these guys being a bench warmer in a sense or someone who gets forgotten about right. because you want to keep guys fresh. You want to consistently run the football and you want to help guys avoid injury. And when you bring back guys who have faced some injuries before, not just in spring, but at the end of last season, I think that that has to be a priority if you want to maintain that edge and the consistency in the backfield throughout the entire season, you're going to have to balance guys. And that means that all four of these guys are going to have to be ready. So I would not be surprised Come week one, if you see all four running backs used in the rotation here, just to give Florida different looks and to make sure that they keep everyone fresh, knowing that it's a long season. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I'm going to just echo a lot of what you said. I think that this is a it's a long year. Uh, people know that college football is a grind, and, and you know the more that you can do uh, early on in your schedule to preserve guys to make them feel fresher later, uh, you do. And so even if we see one of these four guys really take advantage of the situation and then potentially emerge later on as, as the top guy in the unit, which we could, I don't think that that's something that we can rule out at all. Uh, but to use all four of them, at least in the early stages of the season uh, to kind of keep you know the tires fresh uh, to keep the guys feeling good. That's a huge advantage. And if you really do feel if you're Billy Napier, if you really do feel as though there isn't a significant drop off between RB one and RB four, then you're in a great spot because you can really rest guys. You can change guys out. Uh, and, and again, you can keep them fresh for later on. So I think that, you know, I, I would go as far as to say, I like this situation a lot for Florida. Uh, I, if I had to rank uh, each unit by strength, this has to be close to the top. And may, maybe that's something that you and I discuss in the final episode of this series. But, you know, this is a, this is a contender to be, you know, somewhere between first and third, in my opinion. I think it's just such a super strong unit. Uh, and, and I think we're, we're good to end it there. So this was, this was our preview of Florida's running back room. And remember, uh, this is one of a 10 part series where we will go through every single position. You can expect these podcasts every couple days. 
Uh, and you know, if you're listening to us on YouTube right now, you can also find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and, and pretty much any other audio platform, and vice versa. If you are listening to us audio only, you can watch the Swamp 247 podcast on YouTube. Uh, and so I would say stay tuned to wherever it is you do get your podcast. Keep it locked on the site as well, swamp247.com. We have plenty of content uh, going up from Florida's fall camp practices as well as uh, pretty much daily basketball coverage as well. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned. And uh, we thank you for listening to this one. For Graham Hall, I'm Jacob Rudner, and we'll see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.